Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and every body. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, everybody, to The Worst Year Ever, the podcast about this year, uh, which we jokingly declared would be the worst year ever last year. And then three days into the year, the president recklessly assassinated an Iranian general uh, and has brought the world to the precipice of global chaos. Yeah, we're off to a real great start. (laughs) That is an accurate description of what happened in the first few days. I love it when my predictions come true, Mm -hmm. our predictions. Yeah, it's very satisfying. What I love is when uh, the tragic global events that will certainly cost a lot of innocent people their lives uh, also retroactively make us have done a better job of naming our podcast. That yeah. that I like. Silver lining. Yeah, right? I can't wait for the second week of 2020. <laughs> See how that goes. <laughs> Who knows? He could kill anybody. <laughs> he, he, could, he could. He could. He could declare anybody a terrorist and kill them. Right there in the middle you know, that of Fifth is the, Avenue. That is really the thing that isn't harped on enough is that not only did we like collectively as a nation make President Donald Trump the president, but by doing so, we declared that Donald J. Trump should have the right to end all life on Earth, uh, mm-hmm. which is a cool side effect of our system. Truly unbelievable. Anyway, um, rethinking some everybody's things. Everybody's talking about yeah. – <laughs> yeah. Everybody's talking about Iran right now and the risk of war with Iran. And in the wake of uh, Qasem Soleimani's um, assassination, 
Um, like there were a bunch of anti-war protests all throughout the United States as people basically said, like, hands off Iran. Um, and I think that a lot of this is based on some a mix of like terror because we also have PTSD from the way uh, the protests against the war in Iraq and then the subsequent sure. war in Iraq went. Um, and I also think it's just sort of like everybody's so amped up all the time now that everything gets taken to 11. Right. And I wanted to try and provide some context ba- about, number one, like what an actual invasion of Iran might look like. Um, and more to the point, what I actually think um, is more likely to happen kind of in the wake of this, as opposed to sort of right. the, the most apocalyptic kind of, of theories. And yeah, if you if you're like listening to people talk about like what uh, like the perspective of war with Iran, um, like one thing that gets brought up a lot, particularly on Twitter, is the 2002 Millennium Challenge. Right. Um yeah, have you guys ever heard of this? No, uh, not before uh, this mm. week, right here. Uh, so when you mentioned wanting to discuss it, I was like, "Yes, please." Yeah. So one person online, and this is pretty representative of how people have been sort of summarizing the event, uh, uh, described it this way: uh, In 2002, the military conducted the massive Millennium Challenge war game. Team Blue, U.S. forces versus Red, thinly veiled Iran. The Red opposition forces commander beat Blue with low-tech tactics. They had to change the rules halfway through to enforce the desired U.S. victory. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it's generally described. And like most Twitter hot takes, it's only partially accurate. Um, but the Millennium Challenge is really worth discussing. And so that's what we're going to start with today. Right. Um, so this was developed like in the area that immediately preceded the uh, invasion of Iraq. Like everybody knew we were going to invade Iraq, but it hadn't like happened yet. Uh, and like heading into that, the Millennium Challenge was meant to be the largest, most expansive and expensive military game in U.S. history. The goal of the games, which were mandated by Congress, uh, was to explore critical warfighting challenges at the operational level of war that will confront U.S. joint military forces after 2010. Um, So the war games were seen in part as preparation for the invasion of Iraq, but they were also a testing ground for exciting new weapons technologies that would not actually be real for nearly a decade. Um, So... Yeah, since we're currently staring at the possibility of war with Iran, everyone writing about the Millennium Games today emphasizes that the red team in these games uh, was based on Iran, and that's only partly true. Um, first off, the term red team is a general run uh, one for the group that plays the enemy in any kind of conflict sim- uh, simulation. If you work for a company that takes its digital security seriously, you'll have a red team come in sometimes to break into your servers or whatever. And the red team in the 2002 Millennium Games was based in part on Iran, but they were also based a lot on Saddam Hussein's Iraq because that's who we were about to invade. Um, like Saddam's Iraq, uh, they possessed a hefty stockpile of chemical weapons. Uh, but like Iran, they were assumed to include a potent force of irregular combatants, of like asymmetrical warfare, sort of like insurgent forces. Um, so it was really more of a mix of Iraq and Iran. And if you read stuff about these games from like years ago, before everyone was as fired up about conflict with Iran, people would actually tended to emphasize that it was based on Iraq more than Iran. But it was it was it was patterned off of aspects of both countries. So the simulation had been developed before September 11th, 2001, uh, and the projected cost of the games were over, over a quarter of a billion dollars. So these are very expensive. Wow. They involved more than 13,000 U.S. soldiers in 17 different locations, including nine active forces training sites where soldiers were expected to deploy and mock battle against one another. 
Uh, Pentagon officials emphasized that the main purpose of the games was to demonstrate what they called leap-ahead technologies, like airborne lasers, that they believed were imminent and would change the game militarily once again in favor of the United States. Um, And the hope was that these games would provide a future generation of U.S. military leaders with dominant battle space knowledge for the future. Uh, These are the terms U.S. military leaders use to talk to one another, and yes, they do sound like 12-year-olds playing Warhammer. Um, And it's important to understand, like, not all of the the weapons that were envisioned for these war games actually even exist today, like the airborne lasers they imagined having, we still don't have, which is cool. Um, So... Yeah, they develop these games to, like, test a mix of, like, real things and things we still don't have. Uh, and, yeah, the the, the the games were set in the near future. Um, and the U.S. in these games was represented by Army Lieutenant General B.B. Bell uh, and the opposition forces, the guys playing, like, that combination Iran-Iraq fake country, uh, were headed by a retired Marine Corps general named Van Riper. And General Van Riper was viewed by his colleagues as a, a devious sort of guy, um, who was like capable of carrying out some really cunning shit. Um, and he had a real, um, a real, he thought it was very valuable um, to try to give his own side as much trouble as possible in these games. Like that's what he saw as his job. Um, so the goal of the opposition forces headed by Van, Van Riper was to preserve the existence of the fictional regime that they represented and to deny the U.S. forces or blue team as much ground as possible. The goal of the U.S. was to secure shipping lanes, wipe out the opposition's WMDs, and compel the enemy regime to stand down. Um, so it's, it's cool. Um, now, Van Riper, the red team commander, was a famous critic of the war games held by the still new U.S. Military Joint Forces Command. In 2001, JFCOM had had, uh, held the United Vision exercise, and Van Riper had been brought in to control the red team there. Midway through the game, he'd been informed by the White Cell, which is basically the dungeon master of a war game. It's like the guys who sort of interface between the two sides and tell people what actually happens when they take their actions. So like the DM of this very nerdy war game uh, had told Van Riper halfway through uh, that the U.S. forces had destroyed all of his team's ballistic missiles. Um, even though his opponent hadn't actually located uh, the <laughs> missiles that he'd hidden. And the justification for, given for this was that the Pentagon had new radar technology that would be out in the future, and they were pretty sure that it would have made it easy to spot these. So the, there's some really dumb shit that goes on with war games, and Van Riper was really pissed about this dumb shit. Um, so he had complained in 2001, and as a result of his complaints, he'd been promised that the Millennium Challenge war games, the next year's war games, would be free play and honest exercise, where the red team would actually have the ability to win. So that was like something he was promised going into this, is that your side can actually win. Right. We're not going to intervene to guarantee a U.S. victory. With like um, fake technology from the future. <laughs> yeah, from the future. It is yeah, like I, I feel it's I, I'm not being reductive by comparing it to Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I mean, yeah, it's hard to imagine how helpful that is. But Some aspects of it are helpful um, and some aspects of it are very silly. And we're about to talk about a really helpful aspect of it. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, obviously, like war games aren't real war. There were artificial limitations placed on both sides as a result of the fact that, like, they had to land thousands of troops in certain areas and they only had so many days to carry it out. So, like, you can't have a totally open ended exercise because, like, you're taking 13,000 soldiers away from their duties to do stuff like drop out of planes. You need to ensure they drop out of the planes and get that training in, even if things in the war game don't go quite the way, like, that they should. So, 
certain like it's it's never a perfect like uh, representation of real warfare. Right. I guess you gotta you, like you're gonna run out, run out of Mountain Dew and chips eventually, and like everyone's gotta go home. Yeah. Like, school's the next morning. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys are gonna get into a fist fight over how tongue tendrils work. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, we all we, we all know how this goes. <laughs> so um, Van Riper was the right guy to put in charge of the opposition, um, and he was a, a pretty cunning son of a bitch. And the Millennium Challenge Games opened with the U.S. side, the blue team, issuing an ultimatum to the red team, demanding the surrender of their Saddam Hussein analog fake dictator. Uh, the red team obviously turned this down uh, and refused to give up immediately and not have a war game. Um, and so, yeah, the U.S. forces began to move in. And I'm going to quote now from a great article on the Millennium Challenge from the website War on the Rocks. Quote, since the George W. Bush administration had recently announced the preemption doctrine, Van Riper decided that as soon as a U.S. Navy carrier battle group steamed into the Gulf, he would preempt the preemptors and strike first. Once U.S. forces were within range, Van Riper's forces unleashed a barrage of missiles from ground-based launchers, commercial ships, and planes flying low, and without radio communications to reduce their radar signature. Simultaneously, swarms of speedboats loaded with explosives launched kamikaze attacks. Now, the U.S. forces had been prepared to defend against an attack, uh, and they had used their mighty air force and powerful high-tech space assets to knock out the red team's communication assets prior to moving into the Gulf. So immediately Van Riper's told, you don't have any of your high-tech communications equipment. But Van Riper was a cunning son of a bitch, and he developed a workaround. He'd had his forces hide coded messages inside the muezzin, the Islamic call to prayer that was going out over mosques. Okay. He'd organized a network of motorcycle messengers uh, to deliver (laughs) messages by hand, and he'd also organized a a network of low-tech, light-based signals in order to coordinate a mass assault by speedboats loaded with explosives. Wait, he sounds good. So he started by launching a (laughs) He's fucking great, yeah. Uh, As another note, in 2006, he was like one of the most prominent voices who yelled for uh, Donald Rumsfeld to resign. So he's he's a cool guy. Mm. All right. Yeah. So he he launches this big attack, and it starts with like a shitload of missiles, which the U.S. Navy's fancy new Aegis radar system was able to track down and thwart. But like right behind the missiles were hundreds of explosive speedboats that rammed into the boats next. And this tactic worked. Uh, The boats took out 19 U.S. ships, killing and injuring 20,000 theoretical U.S. soldiers and sailors in a matter of minutes, and basically sinking our entire fleet. Uh, Van Riper later recalled, the whole thing was over in five, maybe ten minutes, and that there was an eerie silence, like people didn't know what to do next. So he immediately wins. (laughs) This whole thing sounds like Ender's Game to me. (laughs) It's kind of is that. And... This is usually the part of the war games that gets highlighted most when like people are talking about right now on Twitter and like I've I've read people being like if the US invade it, when we invade, you know, Iran, it'll be a disaster and like we'll lose our whole fleet and like look at what happened the last time they did this. I mean, do they and have I think Van that Ripper? Misses- <laughs> <laughs> um I think that misses a lot of the point about what actually yes. went down here. Yeah, cuz like this part of the story is actually not an example of the U.S. military being stupid. This is an example of a war game doing exactly what you'd mm-hmm. want it to do. Like we held this game and it exposed a massive shortcoming and like our operational plans right. um, in a really like stark and disastrous way. Like this is exactly what you want to have right. happen in a war game because nobody actually dies. Um, right, you do it. Like, you do it so team, you lose, yeah. and then you learn and from you that learn. failure. Exactly. Yeah. That's what you'd want to have happen. So so far, this is actually a big success as a war game. 
Uh, the blue team leader, uh, General Bell, admitted that the red team had sunk my damn navy uh, and inflicted a disaster from which we all learned a great lesson. Um, so Van Riper won the first round, but again, they spent a quarter of a billion dollars on this war game. They had 13,000 troops ready. They weren't just going to be like, well, you won. <laughs> like, everybody go home. Um, so they restarted the war games. They refloated all of the ships and basically declared everyone alive again and carried out the operation again. So we're going to talk about uh, what happened next. But first, you know what won't theoretically sink 20,000 U.S. sailors? <gasps> Would it be products? Yes, and services. And services, of course. Uh, oh, no, both. Yeah. I love it when I'm right. Okay, whatever you say. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back. So, um, yeah, the, the Van Riper wins the first round. The Navy refloats their ships, and they restart the war game. Uh, and on the second go-through, uh, Van Riper's street speedboat strategy didn't work because the U.S. was ready for it and took effective countermeasures and stopped the attack, which is, again, what you'd want to see mm-hmm. if you care about a war game actually being effective in altering U.S. strategy in productive ways. Um, now, the problems, though, started to creep in after this point in the games. Uh, prepared for Van Riper's insurgent anti-ship attacks, the U.S. fleet was able to get close to shore and launch an amphibious assault uh, of the regime by U.S. Marines. Now, the first wave of Marines was to be landed by V-22 Osprey, 
a tilt rotor aircraft that the Marine Corps would not actually have for five more years. Oh, yeah. Um, now, the Osprey is a massive craft, and it's very easy to track on radar, which should have presented a problem for the blue team because they're kind of easy to shoot down if you have, like, the sort of air assets that the red team had. But the Wargame Dungeon Master sent Van Riper's staff a message saying that they just weren't allowed to shoot at any of the Marine Corps troop transports. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, this is when it starts to get to be bullshit. Um, this is Actually, dumb. You the get justification minus five was that. Because of, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, basically, the, the military's justification is that they only had a few days to actually do this, and they wanted to just land the soldiers and practice airborne landings, too. So, like, they, they kind of bullshitted things to get to do this. As you do in a war. Um, mm-hmm. As you do in a war. Um, so, uh, even taking, like, into account the fact that they did have to do certain things because, like, they're spending a lot of money and they got to justify it by getting in training, too. The second version of these games was made stupidly easy for the blue team. Uh, Van Riper was required to put all of his air defense assets out in the open where they could be easily shot, uh, li- wiped out. What? He wasn't allowed to deploy his chemical weapons because doing so would have made it impossible to land troops, which, again, would have stopped them from being able to train on landing troops. Um, bullshit like this kept mounting, and after six frustrating days, Van Riper stepped down as commander of the opposition forces in protest and acted as an advisor for the remaining two weeks or so of the games. Hmm. But even then, even with the war game Dungeon Master stacking the deck against, like, in favor of the United States, uh, the blue team, the U.S., was unable to complete all of its goals and take out the regime supported by the red team. So the regime, like, continued to exist. Uh, and I'm going to quote from a very good task and purpose write-up on the war games here. The real lesson learned from MC 2002, Millennium Challenge 2002, shouldn't be that when fighting an enemy who can only fight as a decentralized insurgency, we can't win even with a stacked deck. It's that the most advanced theoretical weapons won't neutralize a force sustained by hatred or ideology. If we wanted to learn anything, MC 2002 should have been a war game with no war, a war game that starts not with guns or sanctions, but with negotiators. 18 years into a war against an insurgency, and we still struggle to learn that lesson. I mean, just watch the movie War Games. A lot of lessons here. (laughs) It's literally the end of the movie War Games. (laughs) Also starring General Van Riper. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Now, after the Millennium Challenge, General Van Riper went on to complain loudly to the press about what he'd seen. He claimed the whole thing was prostituted. It was a sham intended to prove what they wanted to prove. Mm -hmm. He told the New York Times, there's an unfortunate culture developing in the American military that maybe should make you nervous. I don't see the rich intellectual discussions that we had after Vietnam. I see mostly slogans, cliches, and unreadable materials. And based on the stuff that I've been reading in the media around the assassination of General Soleimani, it doesn't seem likely that rich intellectual discussions are being fostered in our current military chain of command. Um, for one thing, the decision to strike at Iran's military leader inside the borders of an allied nation, Iraq, was not made with any real plan for the fallout. Uh, as the New York Times reported, the option was presented to the president like because they thought it would make other options look good because right. it was so dumb. <laughs> Didn't he choose another option first and then, I don't know. Yeah. Don't do that to Donald Trump. He will choose I mean, the dumb he, he option. Will absolutely <laughs> go for the dumb one. Yeah, he will. He's but also, like, doesn't that also he seem is. like a PR thing of like, well, we didn't actually want him to do this. We did it as a, yes. as yeah. a prank. It's very like, hard to know what is are the facts yeah. here. Exactly. Because it's very possible. Like, the New York Times has a notorious history of wanting to, like, their military sources to like them and reporting on whatever will make the military look good. 
So right. Maybe it's a matter of yeah, because that presents them as like, like reasonable like, This is going to go, but... yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, the idea that like, well, we yeah. we we just we just did it as a goof. Like, All right. We thought it was too dumb. Yeah, no, sure yeah. I, I, that's not impossible because everything is incredibly stupid because it's the worst year ever. Mm, day um, five. But it's also, yeah, yeah. It's also possible that like something, that basically like the a lot, like a lot of, so one of the things, I'm going to do an episode of Behind the Bastards this week on Suleimani and we'll get into it in more detail. One of the things he was famous for is that as command of uh, commander of the Quds Force, which is like, kind of a mix between special forces and the CIA for Iran. He was like instrumental in the distribution of what are called explosively formed penetrators, like this special type of IED that was responsible for about 20% of the U.S. casualties in Iraq. So a lot of people in the Defense Department hate him because their soldiers and stuff got killed as a result of innovations this guy brought in. So it's also entirely possible the military has been wanting to – the military has definitely wanted this guy dead for a while – most U.S. presidents have been too smart and most yeah. high brass have been too smart to, like, stir up that hornet's nest. Yeah. It's possible that some people with who wanted this dude dead saw that Trump was their opportunity to make it happen. Absolutely. Right. Um, I do think people have been right to freak out a little bit as to what the consequences of this assassination are likely to be. It is a huge deal and it will lead to more killing. Um, but I'm frustrated at how much of that has been focused on like mass violence in the United States and stuff like that. Like there's right. been people com- like screaming about the the threat of like Iranian sleeper cells attacking uh, America and stuff. Mm. I don't see yeah. that as particularly. I mean, likely. instantly it ramped yeah. up to that and like stopping citizens uh, at the border and stuff. Yeah, and it's like, well, th- didn't we learn anything? Of course we didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's more concerning are the people. Over there are the troops that are now being deployed over there or that are already there. Uh, yeah. How this affects uh, our like citizens in that region. Yeah. <laughs> That's a concern. Yeah. Like and instantly it's... when that when the when it first the news broke, I remember like the LAPD shared out a tweet. They're like, we're monitoring the yeah. situation very cl- yeah. situation very closely. It's like what? And that's terrifying yeah. in its own we way. We don't need to get into way. that mode. Like yeah yeah, and like. If you're thinking about like the the groups of people least likely to be pissed off at the assassination of Qasem Soleimani just because of who he was, uh, like the Iranians who fled Iran <laughs> to live in the United States are pretty like, low on that yeah. list. Yeah, not they don't tend to be fans. This is the guy who, among other things, um, was largely responsible for recently suppressing protests against the government in Iran last late last year that led to like 1,500 people being executed. Wow. Um, he's a dude with a history. Uh, now, um, I also think like, so you've had like on one hand, like these people like flipping out, like, oh, Iran's going to attack like my neighborhood (laughs) or like they're going to fire missiles at us, which is, is not, I don't think the worry. You've also had people freaking out that like the U S is going to try to invade Iran and like a conventional military engagement and like either we'll kill a lot of them or they'll murder a lot of us because they're worried about like what they read about in the millennium challenge. I don't really see a headlong invasion of Iran as particularly likely. Like, obviously, it could happen as part of a series of cascadingly stupid decisions, which could absolutely occur right. because only the dumbest people are at the wheel in our country. Um, well, every but single, I don't think that's every single the like, mo- step seems to be like that's kind of what they want to happen. It's just like at what point does that dam break? 
like all the antagonism yeah, and like pulling out of the Iran deal, all the things leading up to this and then doing this. It's like, oh, well, what do you want? I mean, he says one thing and does another. Um, do you guys want to talk about what everybody thinks that this is a distraction from impeachment, that this is a ploy for reelection? Yeah, I'm sh- I, I suspect I, like that's honestly, I don't think Trump wants to invade Iran. I, I, there's certainly people within his administration who want a war with Iran. I don't think Trump does because like I think that's a big, painful, messy thing that's unlikely to actually help him politically because it would not be a, a fun or an easy war. Right. Um, I think Trump's thinking on this probably didn't go much further than, oh, this is what everyone will be talking about. It'll be like when we, I killed Baghdadi. Right. Like, let's let's do that and let's stop people talking about the, the impeachment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. That's my Yeah, thing. and there's it, just a sense of like, it's like less like the threat of World War Three and more like a Cold War Two. And just like sort of yeah. creating these tensions, where but there when there will also still be violence in that region because that's what we've been doing for decades, um, and like this idea yeah. of like we're not uh, not starting another forever war, which obviously like I'm behind that message in general, but like we're in the forever war, like it's still going yeah, on. Yeah, like it's not like this we're going to start another one. It's like another no, there's one forever wrinkle. war, and we're yeah. in it. And, yeah, um, and it's just what, which region yeah. we're in, we're focusing on is that should be its new official name. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I hear that. And and you're right. That certainly crossed my mind that it's just like, okay, he just does the thing without thinking it through completely. Right. It succumbs to pressure from from certain people. It's hard. It's hard to not um, go to that place where you think, oh, this is something that people have pointed in him in this direction because, you know, it's hard to. Uh, lose a re-election when you're in the midst of a war. There's a yeah. way that you can frame it. There's a way that this can help, like we're seeing already, gin up um, uh, fear of others, of Iranians. Of Oh, of, the, flip, you know, the flip of even just the media, like, on a dime, immediately, like, yeah, well, maybe maybe we should do this. It's, um, um, it's that that is something, I mean, there's so many aspects of this that's alarming, but... You know, it, it's hard to not. It's hard to just not consider that. Yeah, for me personally. Well, and but, there's that. Um, uh, Clinton did it in January after he was in, like, during the impeachment. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, the, it, uh, basically the same time period. Um, for the for similar reasons. Also, and obviously he just says whatever. But yeah, there's like that clip from his old vlog where he literally accuses Obama of going to start a war with Iran so that he can win re-election. Right. So when he says things like that, you know it's on his mind. That it's he's not, aware of it. Yeah, like yeah. saying that maybe that's what he's doing uh, is based obviously on his behavior, but also he's literally thought about it before um, in the context of being and a I, president. I, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and that's what I think is more likely than Trump. I, I think Trump's desire to avoid, like, war like because war is complicated and a big pain in the ass, uh, is, is genuine, not out of any humanitarian need, but because it's messy and they usually don't go very well. I think what Trump likes is kind of the same thing Obama likes. He likes being able to flex his muscle and order a guy killed and brag about it. I think he's probably scared at the possibility of having to deploy hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops and an invasion of a foreign nation. That's such a messy thing. And I, I get like historically... We have this idea that it helps a president's poll numbers, but 
I don't think that's really the case anymore because yeah. we've, we've been consistently at war for so long um, that I think an escalation, like the one thing that Trump can't afford to do is like massively escalate our troop commitments overseas, which an invasion of Iran would do. Like that, like the whole thing he wants to brag about, he's willing to like destroy our alliance with the Kurds in Syria over is like trying to get US forces out of the Middle East. And like that was a big part of what he was trying to announce with um in fucking uh, Afghanistan with like the ceasefire mm-hmm. with the Taliban. He's clearly trying to move to have to like get US forces out of Afghanistan too so we can say I pulled our troops out of two countries. I really don't think that this is my gut. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't think that's what he wants. Um, I do think there's guys around him that want. Yeah, that. Yes. and he's very impulsive, um, and also he kind of he kind of does, but kind of doesn't. That's the frustrating uh, and sort of scary. Part. Yeah, he loves the military and loves like swinging. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's a world where people are pushing him for this, and uh, you know. All this stuff is going on, impeachment stuff's going on. He's like, sure, yeah, that'll help, you know, without. Yeah. I don't know. I certainly yeah. hope you're right that it doesn't have the same power that it has in the past. I think it's a valid point. Yeah, I've been, uh, yeah. I've kind of mentioned this before. Well, just like, like we're in this sort of uh, general like protest era where like people are just like gung ho about protesting and, uh, you know, the science march, the this march, the this march. And I've always like held out hope, like maybe, maybe if another war is like actually plausible, then that'll be the thing that does it, that like gets people really, because we've done it so many times. We've been here. Uh, we know how easy yeah. it is to be lied to. Um, and do you think it is being that thing? That I thing? don't. I don't. It's uh, because I'm, I mean, I, I take your I point, it to, and you're I, right. This is a protest era, but it's not the same. Everybody's a little bit burnt out. You hear about a protest, and you don't. I know. No, I, that's why I'm. I'm. I, I think it's still just like a hope. It, it would have to. It, it would have to be something new. I think for it to really have an impact, it would have to not just be we're going to protest the war. Mm-hmm. It would have to be we're going to shut this fucking country down. Right. We're going to have a general strike. We are going to we are going to all break the law a lot together. Exactly. Yeah. Like in order to damage this country until they stop. Um, I don't know that I think that's likely, but I yeah. think if that's the kind of thing, like I didn't show up at any anti-war protest first because I don't see this as a pro-war with Iran move. I see this as like a stupid, reckless move by an idiot who wanted to distract from an impeachment. Um, sure. But second, because like, I don't, I, there's so many random marches, I don't, I can't show up to them all. Um, right. But if it's a, um, we're gonna fuck shit up until the what this country is doing fundamentally changes and we will hold it hostage until it does. Yeah, I'll, I'll get out into the street. Yeah, yeah, a general strike, a general um, shutdown of like, nope. Yeah. We're done. We're, do- we're done yeah. here. Actually, I don't know what it takes for us to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, no one does. <laughs> Nobody does. Um, when we come back after ads, I want to talk a little bit about what I think actually is going to happen in right. the wake of this, okay. based on some stuff that happened in the past. Um, ads for but what? You know though? what didn't happen in the past? Ads for products and services. Oh, perfect! Mm. I was craving an ad for a product or a service. Welcome to the worst year ever. If 
a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what I think is actually likely as like the next series of events to happen based on stuff that's happened in the past. He shits um, himself to so death in late on the toilet. And then he can't and flush let's it. Fingers fucking the cross, right? Oh my yeah. god! Flush it twelve times. <laughs> Fifteen. T- oh man, a fifteen-flush salute. Mm-hmm. I, I will approve <laughs> that when this president lies in state. Yeah. Uh, so, in late 2006, General Stanley McChrystal formed a task force to kill and capture Iranian-backed insurgents in Iraq. Uh, that December, U.S. forces raided the compound of a prominent Shiite politician and captured an Iranian general there. The general was a member of the Quds Force, which I was just talking about. That's the group run by Qasem Soleimani. Uh, the, this arrest of an Iranian commander in Iraq was seen by everyone, including the Iraqis, as the breaking of an unwritten law. Uh, Iraq's Prime Minister, Nouri al-Maliki, demanded that general's release, and he was in fact released. But doing so really pissed off the Americans, because again, the Quds Force had been directly and indirectly responsible for hundreds of U.S. casualties. So Stanley McChrystal looked out for another way to strike back. In January of 2007, he received word that another Iranian Revolutionary Guard general was in a convoy headed towards the Iraqi border. And to make matters sweeter, General Qasem Soleimani was heading there with him. Both generals were set to meet with Kurdish leaders. McChrystal's forces tracked the convoy as it drove to Erbil, the Kurdish capital, and stopped at a small building crudely marked as a consulate. Now, the fact that this building was labeled as a consulate should have made it immune to any sort of, like, U.S. intervention. Um, the Iranians have diplomatic cover when they're in a consulate in a sovereign nation. Like, that's the way international law is supposed to work. But the Americans ignored diplomatic niceties and international law and the express wishes of the Iraqis and moved in anyway. They arrested five Iranians bearing diplomatic passports. McChrystal insists that these guys were all Quds Force members, and they probably were. 
But this violation of the accepted norms of behavior in the region pissed off everybody, most especially Iran. Mm -hmm. Nine days later, a group of Iraqis dressed in American uniforms infiltrated the Karbala Provincial Center in southern Iraq, killed one U.S. soldier, and captured four more. They drove these captives outside the provincial center and executed all four at close range. Soleimani denied having anything to do with this attack, but it is generally, and probably correctly, seen as a reprisal for the arrest of his men. The people who actually did the killings, though, were Iraqis. Members of Asaib al-Haq, a Shia-backed militia, uh, or a Shia militia backed by Iran that was recently declared a foreign terrorist group by the United States. This same militia has been accused credibly of killing Iraqi protesters in Nasiriyah in late 2019. Now, I think this sequence of events provides a much likelier blueprint for the sort of responses we can expect from Iran. They have proxies all across the Mideast, and it behooves them to have these forces kidnap and execute Americans. The best part of this strategy is that its relatively restrained nature will contrast with what will surely be the unhinged response of the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. Our president has already threatened to bomb cultural and civilian sites in response to any Iranian aggression. If Iran launched some sort of mass military attack... Uh, and the U.S. fired back with missiles and whatnot, that wouldn't seem like an escalation to most people. Like, if they're blowing up an aircraft carrier and we're shooting missiles back, that just looks like war. Mm. But if some Iraqi militiamen kill a couple of Americans in Basra and then Trump launches missiles at Iran, like, that seems a lot less justifiable to most people around the world. Um, and, you know, if a lot of these attacks are carried out by Iraqi militia who are backed by Iran— Who's to say Trump won't decide to strike at targets inside of Iraq? Uh, it, when the news came that the Iraqi parliament passed a non-binding uh, 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 like resolution to ask the United States to leave, Trump started threatening to like charge them billions of dollars for the bases that we built there mm-hmm. uh, and place sanctions on the Iraqi economy. He's already shown he has no issues uh, firing missiles off inside Iraq's sovereign territory. So if there were attacks by Iraqi militias backed by Iran— Against Americans in Iraq, I have no trouble imagining that Trump might launch launch missiles at Iraq, too, at which point we're firing missiles into the sovereign territory of our ally. Um, And I think from Iran's point of view, getting the U.S. to kill a bunch of Iranian and Iraqi civilians and half-cocked vengeance strikes would do a great job of welding the people of both nations together against U.S. influence, which is kind of the whole goal of their foreign policy. Yeah, they already (laughs) are. (laughs) Yeah. We've we've seen aspects of this happen so far. Qasem Soleimani's funeral procession started mm-hmm. in Baghdad uh, and included visits to the sacred Iraqi cities of Karbala and Najaf before his remains were returned to his hometown in Iran. Uh, and inside Iran, the government has used Qasem's popularity and his assassination to attempt to bridge some of the political divides in Iranian culture by focusing on resistance to the United States. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to overemphasize this because a lot of talk about this, like you risk it making it seem like Iranians are of one mind about Qasem Soleimani or about right. any of this. He was actually hugely unpopular, even within sizable chunks of the Iranian government. Like they're they're not all the same. And again, he helped crack down on a popular uh, protest movement late last year that involved huge numbers of Iranian citizens who probably hate the guy because he had their friends and family murdered. Right. So like. This shit's complicated, but they're so, but they're and pretty compl- split because there there's a huge amount of of people showing up in support and in in protest yes. and anger. So that yeah, absolutely. and like when the U.S. is like, well, actually, we're the aggressor and we're gonna like, it's just further creating this villain uh, for people to unite against. Mm-hmm. When like, if you leave people alone, they will figure it out. Like, yeah. 
which it, this is frustrating. That was happening in Iraq. Exactly. Right. The hugely popular protests against the Iraqi government were also protests against Iran because there's a mm-hmm. lot of anger within Iraq naturally at what Iran's gotten to do in there because they've done a bunch of imperialist meddling in Iraq. Um, and a lot of those protesters aren't any happier with U.S. imperialist meddling in Iraq. But if we had supported those protesters, um, we probably could have gained more like diplomatic benefits than firing missiles inside Iraq at people thoughtlessly. Sure. Um, it's just like yeah. such a fucking bad idea. Yeah, like when you see um, democracy in action and you're like, actually. <laughs> I think this is called 3D chess, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about is the potential of Iranian cyber reprisals. Yes, um, that's important. And again, people talking about this online have like, a lot of folks have been afraid that like, oh, they're going to shut down our electric grid. Mm-hmm. They're going to like shut down the eastern seaboard and stuff. I think that's taking it a bit far. Um, but Iran does have a sophisticated and extensive like digital um, operations uh, a, a, a sort of like system all around the world. Um, but if you look at their past history of a cyber attacks, I think you can get an idea of, the, of how this might look. Um, in October of 2019, Iranian ha- hackers were revealed to have breached a bunch of U.S. satellite companies. Mm-hmm. In January of 2019, FireEye, a cybersecurity firm, released details about a two-year-long Iranian campaign to steal login credentials for businesses across the world, including those in North America. In December of 2018, two Iranian nationals were indicted for carrying out a cyber ransom attack against the city government of Atlanta. Uh, and I think when you like kind of look at what they've done in the past, the actual like reality of what an Iranian cyber response might look like looks less like, I don't know, live free or die hard. Um, <laughs> and more like uh, the kind of hacks that North Korea pulled off against Sony in 2014. Right. Yeah, I I think we'd be more likely to see them trying to release, I don't know, emails and stuff like that for maybe like, I don't know, maybe like they find some shit that like the LAPD has been saying in the wake of this about like Iranian citizens, Mm -hmm. like whatever it would do to spread distrust and hatred. Yeah, I would would be fine with that. Tweet the N-word or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. More dirt on politicians, more dirt on studio heads. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or like seeing that they hacked satellite companies makes me think, oh, what if they found evidence, which it definitely exists, that the U.S. government is doing much more extensive and detailed satellite surveillance of American citizens than we previously had access to. And they just reveal that that would do like that would hurt. Um, But it's not like they're not going to turn off our nuclear power plants (laughs) like and why would they? Um, It's easier and probably more damaging in the long run to do shit like this. Like shutting down power to huge chunks of the U.S. would rally people against Iran and get everybody pissed off. Yeah, um, I'd say if there's something we've learned from sh- the last few years, yeah. it's that uh, our social fabric, our political system, everything is highly susceptible to subtle influences. You know, yeah, <laughs> or, and not so subtle, but yeah. stuff like that is a very effective yeah. way to undermine everything. Yeah, stoke tensions between. Uh, yeah, the people and the people in power. And like like you said, like this the story that will eventually drop, uh, that we all know is coming of like, oh yeah, all your phones are recording you. Obviously, that's why you get all these ads. That's why yeah. when you uh, say a word out loud and then you Google it, it autocorrects, even though no one has ever Googled that word before. Um, mm-hmm. That story is coming. Crazy story uh, about that for you guys. But, ooh, not uh, uh, but like having that be what it is would cause so much. Uh, yeah. It's chaos. Yeah, and that... That would cause chaos. It would do damage to the United States. And also, like, 
how could like you, if you're Trump, you can't launch a cruise missile at an Iranian mosque because they released details that T-Mobile was spying on us. Like, you say that, Robert, right? but like, I mean, he might. I mean, but it would look it would look wild and unhinged oh, in a sure. way that like if they if he launched a missile at them because they killed five U.S. troops in a reprisal strike. More people can get on board with that than like they released internal emails from right, this company right, right. showing that the um, government was that, spying like, on us. That seems and we shot them. more business yeah. as usual than uh, we got hacked. Yeah. We're gonna blow them up. Yeah, they're gonna hack all yeah. of our so in yeah. Con- Independence Day being the response to yeah. maybe hackers or something like that. Yeah. In conclusion, I think that the responses from Iran uh, and the response, like the, the fallout from the assassin, assassination of Soleimani is going to be terrible. Um, a lot of people are going to die and be harmed. I don't think it's going to look like what a lot of people are currently right. uh, freaking out about, but that doesn't mean it's not bad. Yeah. It's just going to be smarter than that right. <laughs> is, is my suspicion. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Um, so that's our little mini episode. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Robert. That was uh, very helpful informative all the things yeah uh, uh, everybody go watch war games it's good and read ender's game mm-hmm. i don't know i love mm-hmm. that book the um, documentary war mm-hmm. games <laughs> would you like to play uh Chess? you guys can check us out online uh on our social media uh, it's uh worst year pod twitter instagram there's merch store there's all that Ooh. uh yeah mm-hmm. that's it for us today and I'm yet, doing an elegant look, look job ending this the- yeah, and and look out for when our internal emails get leaked by Iran. Yeah, um, and that that's going to be a fun day because you will get to see how much shit we talk about Cody behind mm-hmm. his back. It is Robert. A lot. I mean, I get most of those emails too. Like you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I didn't know you saw that. Yeah, they don't need to hack. Right. I, I, I get I get them direct in my inbox. I'm sorry, Cody. Don't be. I'm still here. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Robert, for preparing that. And uh, we will All right. see you guys soon. Bye. Everything's so dumb. Everything's so dumb and it's going to get dumber. Great. I tried. Yes. Daniel? Lovely. Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.